production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, ask any marketer with CX and MarTech in their remit to prove the return on those investments, and that includes the tech stack, the people and the resource to deploy and manage these ongoing programs, and it can get a little awkward. Some CMOs have told me privately they are under pressure from finance to do exactly that, prove the ROI, and it's proving quite the challenge. Well, we're about to hear from a marketer who is doing exactly that after starting out in 2019 with a sweeping overhaul of their entire customer experience strategy, online and off, using the Salesforce stack. Now, whether it be Salesforce, Adobe, or any combination of Frankenstein tech stacks you can assemble, the general manager of CX Brand and Innovation at the North Collective, Rob Lopez, is probably the most advanced and sophisticated of any program I've seen, certainly for those people and marketers that are prepared to talk candidly about their CX and personalization efforts. Rob is all over this stuff, and he recently started a major initiative at North Collective called Project ROI to engage his non-techie, non-marketing stakeholders on what all this marketing automation jargon is doing for revenues, the frequency of member visitation, customer lifetime value changes, and membership growth. It is the sort of ambition any finance chief would give their sharpened pencil for, and Rob really has transformed North Collective in CX and personalization. His early ROI work for the entire program, and that's just not campaigns, everything, is worth investigating and copying, actually. And the great thing about Rob is he's happy to open source most of his learnings, and trust me, that's unusual. Most marketers and their corporate affairs types are paranoid about giving too much away. So I suggest you park your attention deficit disorder and listen to this one. There are some cracking insights and shortcuts coming your way. So welcome, Rob Lopez. Um, This is about the third conversation we've had. We're finally on the mics. Um, Let's start with what you're in the middle of right now at North Collective and why. And then we might work back to the start of this three-year program and and what you've been on. But where are you at right now, Rob? Because you are, well, I I, I talked about it at the top, Project ROI. What, What are you trying to do? What is it? And where are you at? Yeah, no, thanks, Paul. Look, Project ROI for us is giving us the opportunity to really prove the worth of what this digital transformation journey has meant to the bottom line for North's collective. Uh, You know, since 2018, we've been investing resources, time, money, uh, people, and relationships into this digital transformation journey. And this year is the year of ROI for us. It's the year for us to start building out a strong, structured, rigid system that we can use from now and into the future to really allow us to understand, well, what positive impact has this had on the bottom line? So financial, but what other positive impacts has it had? What other metrics have been shifted? What needles have we shifted across the group through the digital transformation journey? Okay. And so maybe just a quick sort of wrap up on on what North Collective is, because um, it's a really interesting model, 60,000 odd members. Give us a little, very quick lowdown on it. Yeah, definitely. So look, North Collective, at, at, at our core, we are a profit for purpose membership-based, community-focused, dynamic hospitality group. Try right. saying that 10 times fast. No, I'm going to leave that to you. Yes, no. So we, as you mentioned, we've got eight hospitality venues or, or generally clubs based in New South Wales um, and two fitness centres. We have over 60,000 members now, just cracked the 60,000 mark. We employ over 500 people and we've given back over $11.5 million in community support since 2015. 
Right. So really for us, it's all about growing engagement with our members, with our local community. And the more engagement we have from our members and our community, the more we can give back to our community as well. Right. It kind of started from, if it's right, the North Sydney Bears Club, right? Which is a rugby league club that's now it's extinct. Well, yes. The, well, the, well, the, the, the team. Hibernation, we like Hi- to call it. Yes. yes but yes. in recent, you would, would have read some recent news about the revival of the Bears. Yes, right. There's been many iterations of that. 1999 was the last year the Bears were really running out on the park as the Bears. But um, yes, so the league's club, you know, formed in 1955. So we've been in our community for a very long time. Uh, the football club was formed in 1908. Right. So the, the But somehow has- you've gone from not having a, a team on the paddock, uh, in the professional league at least anyway, and suddenly you've reinvented yourself to be sort of a, a centralized managed service for other clubs, if you like. What, what, what happened there? Yeah. So amalgamation and, and, you know, all clubs will talk about this diversification piece mm. and, and the need to diversify your business um, and move away from just an old traditional club model. So, um, you know, North's first amalgamated with Seagulls Club, which is at Tweed Heads, just on the correct side of the New South Wales Queensland <laughs> nice. border. Um, and that was back in 1998. Right. Um, and then since then, we've had further amalgamations. And just really the last sort of 14 months, we've had three amalgamations. So that grew us from five to eight, eight, cl- eight clubs within the group. So really the need to diversify and break out into more communities is a big part of our strategy. Okay. So we've got the context. Let's get back to your ROI program. You're, sort of, you're saying... Now, this project ROI is about trying to understand the impact of this, of MarTech, personalization, automation, CX, all those things that you're doing into the business. Where are you at with that? So you've got some sense of of how it's looking. And again, just to reiterate, we're not talking here about necessary campaigns. We're talking about the entire program, the cost, the OPEX, CAPEX, everything. Everything, yeah. So campaigns form a part of it. Mm. And we, we kicked off project ROI in January. So we're working very closely with our marketing cloud partners to build out this robust system. Who's that? Who are you partnering with other people? Yeah, definitely. So AF Digital okay. are our marketing cloud partner right. um, and have been since day one. Right. So they've been with they're us They're a systems integrator of some sort or what are they? They're a Salesforce partner. Okay. Um, you know, they focus on a lot of the Salesforce cloud stack, okay. um, but we utilize their services for marketing cloud. Um, we're working with their CEO, Robin Leonard. Um, really, he's heading this project with myself and my team. Right. Um, and we're we're looking to develop this so it goes beyond the campaign. You know, we talk a lot about engagement and growing engagement numbers and metrics, but this is really about understanding cost, understanding return, but also understanding risk. And a big part of this project ROI is a risk mitigation assessment as well and understanding how we're actually mitigating the risk of housing the data that we house by making the decisions that we made at the beginning of this journey to partner up with you know, the likes of Salesforce and using their technology and their security um, and their trust mantra mm. to help us ensure that we're securing the data that we house. So risk actually is a big part of this project ROI as well. Well, we know about that with data, don't we? So I'm interested though. So when you set out to, why did you set out to do this in the first place? Why did you think you needed it? And what was the business case to do it if you're only getting to the ROI bit now? Yeah. So I guess if we go back to 2019, we really set out on this digital transformation journey with three key and clear objectives. The first was to get a full view of our customer, a 360 degree view. The second was to get smarter with our data. So use centralized data, first party data to make better business decisions and analytics. And the third was to get more personalized omni-channel marketing capabilities from the first party data that we've got. So we, we really had those three objectives. We also knew, so I sat down with the CEO back in 2018, and we knew that, you know, the future was looking very different. 
privacy laws, things were changing in the marketplace and the ecosystem that we, we took part in, in the digital landscape, that we had to start doing something now to get us ready for the future. And that really kicked off this, what was a 14-month sort of investigation period where I went out and had a look at all of the sort of centralized CRM offerings out there and then eventually landed on, on Salesforce. So we really had those drivers in the beginning that got us onto the journey in the first place. Well, given you're a man who sort of says what he thinks, we hear this big sort of circular argument about which platform, which tech stack, which mix. You've gone for a pure Salesforce stack, is that right? Everything? Yep, everything is Salesforce. Right. And why did you do that over the over others? What what was the difference for you anyway for North? Yeah, look, one big part with North, I said at the beginning, we're a profit for purpose business. So really relationships are a big part of of how we operate day to day. And we found with Salesforce, we really aligned with their core values. You know, their first value is trust. Our members trust us. Our members, you know, they feel safe when they come into our venue and they trust North's Collective to look after them. You know, during lockdowns, and a great example, we kept in contact with our members. We ran online concerts for our members to keep them engaged as well with each other too. Um, So that's a big part of what we did. The technology was the second second part behind it. And, you know, Salesforce, thrice yearly, they bring out major updates across all of their, their stack. Mm. So we loved that they were doing the innovation. You know, we didn't want, we, we looked at also building our own, you know, right. I guess, as you said before, Frankenstein mm. style of, of, of technology. And we just thought we've got to maintain it. We've got to innovate. We, whereas Salesforce had all that. And there is other competitors in the market. Um, but, you know, I remember sitting with my CEO after I spent this 14 months investigating and I said, you know, not going with Salesforce be like going to McDonald's and ordering a salad. What's right. the point? <laughs> yes, right. Well, I might have to. It's, yeah. good, it's good for me. <laughs> I know. There is benefits, I guess. <laughs> okay. So, um, and so there was, there's all those dimensions that happened. So I'd love to, I mean, for the purposes of time, we'll, we'll move on from that. But, and so let's get to then this decision to roll out all of the programs you've done, CX personalization uh, and the tech technology with it. Did you know at the start how much this was going to cost you up front in terms of not just the technology licensing, but the deployment, the resources, the people to actually drive the car? Because that's what gets a lot of marketers and a lot of companies, they come unstuck with once they buy the dream, they got to do it. Yeah, 100%. Look, if I go back to 2019, we started building in, in June 2019. I can't say hand on heart back then, I knew what our annual cost would be in 2022. You know, I've had uh, gone from a team of two to a team of 10 within my department. Um, And two of those team members are purely platform users and Mm. are in the Salesforce space every day that didn't exist back in the beginning of this journey. So optimizing and creating journeys and doing all those things. All of those things, but also the integration management. Um, You know, we use Boomi, that's our middleware layer, and it connects all of our siloed systems into Salesforce CRM, Mm. but also into our CRM analytics platform and marketing cloud. In, both in Salesforce ecosystems. So I think for us, we knew what year one and year two was going to cost. We already had that laid out and we, we spent the time roadmapping what those first two years looked like. And we did that with our partners. So the likes of AF Digital, we spent a lot of time with them. So we really left no stones unturned. We built out from the beginning with a really solid structure to allow us to expand because we knew back then, and if we think back to 2019, we really only had four clubs. We've doubled since then. We had to have this system built. So it was very easy to start growing at a rapid pace. And an interesting statistic, actually, if I go back to 2021, it took us about 10 weeks to build out the back end systems for our latest venue back then, which was the veranda in Beecroft. 
Last year, 2022, we opened two venues sort of within six weeks of each other. And we did the, the back-end build in three weeks. Right. So we reduced the time to market by 70%. And that's from the, the ability that we built this system out, knowing we were wanting to grow in the future. Mm. Uh, so yes, costs have definitely gone up um, since then, but that's because we've had to bring resources on board, in-house resources, and we've not wanted to stop. We, we let out on this journey that it wasn't going to be you know, a 14-month build, which is where it ended up. And that's it. We really had a two, three, five-year roadmap of what we wanted to do. We also wanted to make sure that, you know, it was achievable. We didn't want to set the bar too high too early. Um, and, and that's where we've seen growth, especially over the last 18 months in terms of our engagement figures. And we'll get to that shortly because this comes through in your ROI, project ROI and the, and the dashboards you got, you're building for all that. Did you know at the start, Rob, or so you, you had, I guess you had a, a dollar range in, in mind, a budget in mind, how far did you deviate from that budget as you realized, okay, we've got to do this? Was it some eye-opening moments where you went, oh, I've got to do some more, we've got to do some, we got to actually spend more to get to where we want? How, how defined was your expectation? Yeah, that? I don't, we haven't really spent more, right? but we, we definitely have learnt the costs of, of the roadmap we'd built. You know, it's very easy to build a three-year roadmap in year one not really looking at year three and its costs necessarily. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're now in year five and we built this year's roadmap back in year two. Right. So, you know, costs change um, and we really haven't deviated. There might've been the odd project that we've added in just to mm. speed up other, other things. You know, we've had to do some tidying up, dirty data, data cleansing, mm. um, which has thrown some extra costs in there as well. But overall, we've, we've done our best to really stick to what we knew we were going to be spending. Okay. So you've spent that and now you have, we're darting a bit over here because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to the end and also to the middle, but the, the work you're doing now then is showing you whether this program is, has been worthwhile. So what are the, what's the data you're getting so far? What are the signals you're coming through and what does it look like, this, this program? Yeah, project? look, so, so we kicked off in January. We're, very, we're in the very early stages. So right now we're in what we call phase one, which is the data architecture and metrics. So we're building out the data architecture to allow us to use what's going to be Tableau to report on all of this, um, which is integrated again with the Salesforce tech stack. So we're in phase one of building that out and looking at our metrics. So we've done some initial campaign level dashboarding to start understanding how that looks. But really, because we're a membership-based organization, for us, it's all about growing members, but remaining engaged with them. So we're looking at building out through Tableau this member lifecycle and customer lifetime value system that's going to allow us to understand year on year, have we shifted the needle on our customer lifetime value, our CLTV? What was it in 2019 to what it is now? And we've already done that. And we've actually seen that it's grown. Right. And it's grown by, I think, around 12% okay. from when we turned the lights on to our digital transformation to now. Mm -hmm. So we've already seen that shift. We've got to prove that it's this that's caused that. Um, and, and that's you know the reason that we've seen that growth. But it's also been a very interesting and tumultuous period that we've gone through. Mm. You know, we started building in June 2019, went into our first lockdown yeah. in March of 2020. So no hospitality was open. We were closed. Mm. But we kept building through that period so we could turn the lights onto this system in August of 2020. And then we had a very, very strange year in 2021, as we all know. Mm. And then 2022 was our first full year of trade. So we've only got one year's worth of full data since 2019, mm. now that we've had 2022. So I think, you know, for us, we're going to be using last year as a baseline um, and then the pre-COVID era as a baseline. 
But we're definitely seeing that the CLTV has shifted in a positive manner since pre-COVID. You, you said phase one was data and infrastructure, I think. So then what happens? So now after that, we start doing the build out. So we start using our internal resource. So our, our um, in digital integration analytics specialist to start building out the dashboarding. So we talk about dashboards, we talk about scorecards, and we want to make sure we're reporting regularly. So, you know, I report to our CEO, who reports to our board of directors, who report to our members. And for us, it's going to be about really building out a strong system that's going to allow us to understand how we've improved our member experience and our CLTV on a monthly basis. But on top of that, you know, we talk about campaigns and we, we report on those individually. But then we start reporting on, you know, the power of our data. This is really at the crux of it. We want to start understanding by centralizing our data and communicating more effectively with our members and our community, what has that done? And we talk about member visits. Right. So that's a big part of our business. You know, have we shifted member visits, you know, by one per month? Have we got an extra visit out of every three members every month? And really tying that back in directly to our marketing activities. And it's not easy to do. It's not easy to connect the fact that Jack came in for a schooner mm. on a Wednesday because he received an SMS on a Tuesday. It's very hard to do, but we've, because we've centralized our data points, it's made it that much easier for us. So, I mean, exactly that though. How do you make the link between a text on a Tuesday and a visit on a Wednesday? Is there, what is in between that says, okay, we're going to attribute it to that message? Yeah, we set attribution windows. So there's mm. certain activations that we set a 24-hour window to. Um, and, you know, every month we've got a big 10K draw. And we send out an SMS the day of the draw and an email the day prior. So people who come in, we have a look, did they open the email? That's the first thing. And then they attended the venue. And we look at it and say, yes, we're going to call that, we're going to attribute that visit to that open. Right. We obviously can't get it perfect every time. And if you're going to try to get it perfect every time, you're only kidding yourself. Mm. But if you get an understanding of how effective your marketing is in terms of engagement, yes, but in terms of conversion, and we talk about in-venue conversion. Uh, we're not really an e-commerce business. We sell tickets to events online. We've got Dale Braithwaite coming. Keep go, an eye out. Go Daz. Go Daz, yes. He's just been on stage, hasn't he, with uh, Harry Styles exactly. a million times. And we do sell tickets online. And that's, that's really good because it's an easy one for us to really attribute mm. back to whether it's social advertising or you know, email sends or, or internal comms. But in-venue is where it was tricky. Now, being membership-based, we've got membership cards. We are digitizing those with the launch of our new app in July, but members have their cards and they swipe when they enter. So we understand visitation data right. as well. And, and this whole journey has been really about looking at the four types of data. You've got your demographical data and, and, and transactional data, both of which we're very data rich in. It's the behavioral data and the engagement data on our members and our customers that we weren't as rich in. Right. And this journey has allowed us to really build a strong, strong uh, repository of that data. Fascinating. So where are you at there now? Have you got all that together? or So that, that now becomes what's, what's really phase two, phase three, is about then saying, right, what's the MVP? What's going to be you know, the, the best way forward from a dashboarding and a reporting perspective? Because I want to be able to say, right, what was June this year versus June last year versus June 2019? And I want it to really come up as, as quick as that, mm. to be honest. We've got to build a strong reporting system at a campaign level, I might say, how did the Wiggles this year go versus the Wiggles last year versus the Wiggles in 2019? Right. Because for us, it's about being able to make better business decisions. If we see that you know an event, a campaign, an activation has worked better this year than in 2019, we've got to understand why. Mm. And the only difference for us right now is, yes, it's post-COVID, but we're communicating differently. 
we're communicating on a personal level with each member. You've got the old marketing mantra of sending the right message to the right customer at the right time through the right channel. And for us, you know, we've, we've managed to really tighten that up through the use of this, this MarTech. Right. And so one of the things that's coming through in your dashboarding, at least, is you're sort of mapping where you are in various maturity curves. See, the C, you've talked about the CX maturity curve. So what do you mean by that? Talk us through. This is, this is almost a self a report card on where you're at in your journey. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So annually, we work with AF Digital and we, we get scaled against the CX maturity, maturity scale, which really it rates an organization on how advanced and automated their customer experience is. When we started this journey, we were sitting at 1.9 out of 5. We did it in January this year, the, re- the annual reassessment. We're sitting at 4.3. Out of 5. Out of 5. Right. So I believe you can get to 6 somehow, some magical number. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, but we've seen a very steep growth. You know, we've been on a, a very strong trajectory from the beginning. And that's really because we got buy-in. You know, a big part of a digital transformation journey is understanding that everybody in the organization is going to be affected by it. CEO, for in our case, all the way through to our reception customer-facing staff were all affected by this digital transformation journey. So from the beginning, we took everybody on this journey with us and we got buy-in. When we talk about digital transformation, when we talk about our data, everybody in the organization talks about it with conviction, with belief and understanding as to why we did this journey in the beginning. It's the why that makes or breaks a digital transformation journey. And you're saying beyond the techies and beyond the marketers, you've got broad buy-in. That's the difference here. I understand it. hundred percent. And, you know, even, even all of our new staff that come and join our organization through the induction process, we let them know what our digital transformation vision is. And our digital transformation vision is to be a true leader in digital transformation using new, emerging and sustainable technologies as a means to tell our story, build our brand and enrich relationships with our communities. And that's where we start off at all inductions. And mm. we take them on this digital transformation journey with us because everybody want, needs to understand the why behind it. Well, they've got no excuse if they're inducted like that, right? They, they should know. Engagement. So, I mean, so you've got CX maturity, uh, key, the key KPIs, benchmarks you're looking at. And so what, other, what else are you, have you got a, a scorecard on yourself for that's when, where you're at in it? Yeah. So we talk about membership growth Mm -hmm. and that's a really important one. Uh, Membership growth is a critical metric for the business. um, And we're always looking at growing members and we do them in two ways, new member growth. So new member signups, but also reducing the churn rate. And one metric that we've looked at recently is, well, how have both of those gone since Mm -hmm. we started this journey? We've actually seen a 20% growth in overall membership, but a 28% growth in renewals. So 28% more of more members are renewing now than they were before we went on this digital transformation journey. And that comes down to the fact that we're communicating more effectively. Right. You know, you, you enter a journey now, an automated journey. We've saved about 28 hours a month in marketing hours across the group just from renewal journeys and member journey automation. Because it's the, you've set it up. The it's rules set are up. set up, right. It's automated. It's communicating on the channel that it knows that member prefers. And we use a thing called STO, send time optimization, which looks at the last 90 days worth of data. And it determines what's the best time to send this out to each member mm. based on when they're more likely to open the communication. Well, just on that, I mean, so we have quite strong debate across, depending on what part of the industry you're in, about whether personalization is good, bad, or indifferent. 
a lot of the personalization that gets challenged is, is possibly in, in the media context of personalizing messages and, and targeting people in, in, in the open web and so forth. And that gets, that gets some debate. But personalization has been, you know, it's, it's a stand down, unchallenged benefit for North, right? It's working. Oh, North Collective, massively so. We, we, last year was the year of personalization. We like to label every year. gives us an overarching theme for, yeah, the, right. for the techie year ahead. Um, and we, we launched Salesforce personalization last year on all websites across the group. So we launched on eight websites last year. Um, so all of our websites are personalized, and that's based on behavioral data. That's not looking at demographic or transactional, but based on behavior. And one, one sort of theme that I took away from attending and presenting at Dreamforce last year, uh, Salesforce's event in, in um, San Fran. monster thing. Actually, we caught up there, didn't we? We That's did. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, was this, this sort of theme of ethical personalization. And I brought that mm. back with me. So we're actually now building out our go-to-market ethical personalization messaging that we're going to have available for members and, and visitors when they go on our website to have a read-through. And one of sort of the four pillars of that is basing you know, your marketing, your, your targeting on behavior rather than personal attributes. Right. And that's a big shift for, for club land. You know, back in the day, we'd send out an SMS about bingo to everybody over the age of 75. Right. Whereas we actually did a bit of a, a recent message going out and I said, we're changing the mindset now. We're going to base it on behavior. We've got all of our point of sale data coming through anyway. Who's purchased bingo over the last 18 months? And there was a huge, huge, you know, number from 50 to 60. Right. In that bucket, we would have missed if we just were in old school land. Wow. Right. So that's, and that's the difference. Um, so, but the behavior stuff though, that's, that all gets automated. And it's, when you talked about web pages, websites being personalized, not down to the individual. Yeah, no, down to the individual. So level. what you and I would see would be different. Yeah. Based on behavior that we've got on the website visit from that, that user. So, you know, we can connect a, a member to their website visitation if they go to the web from an email link and then it, it creates that profile and we start understanding, you know, what behavior does that member show on the web? All of our website um, is categorized. There's, there's breadcrumbs and subcategories and, you know, it builds out this sort of affinity wheel and profile for that one individual website user. Now, when we launch our app in July, that's phase two of personalization. It becomes part of that ecosystem as well. So your in-app experience, if you were showing interest in Australian rock music, concerts on the North website, that should be at the top of your list. It shouldn't be in date order anymore. It should show shows that are actually of interest to you. Mm. And we run before you go campaigns or, or pop-up campaigns. Most people know them as, and they're usually more annoying than anything else. And the global average click-through rate for a pop-up on a website is 3.09%. Now across North Collective websites, we're sitting at over 24% click-through rates. Right. That's because it's a hyper-targeted message mm. that users getting it because of behavioral information that we know. So, okay, so you've got the app coming. You mentioned about the app and you've also got a loyalty program So, uh, or you're renewing, you're re rebuilding it. So talk to me about the impact that this personalization and all this work has done with some of your supply partners. Lion, for example, loves you. That's the, these are the, this is the brewer. Lion. Um, and so much so that they want to be involved in the next phase of the program. What, what's that about? Why and wh why have you impressed them? Yeah, so Lion, you know, very, um, very much a digital forward company. Uh, and recently I presented to them at their, their sales conference and took them through the journey that we'd been on. We're officially now Lion's biggest club group partner. Right. So we pour more liters of beer out of all the club groups that they're aligned with. And, you know, their 
sort of director of connections caught wind of this and then asked me to come in and meet with their digital team. So I sat down with their digital team two or three times. Now they came and presented to my wider marketing team as well, which is a great relationship to be building. And when we started talking about the app, sort of we, we all just started brainwaving with each other and, and it's it's come to a point where we're sort of looking at opportunities to partner in the app. Is there ways to start bringing in Lion through the app as well and you know, members who, who maybe purchase certain products, earn certain points towards future products or, or, or goods um, as well? So there's opportunities there. And now, you know, we, I say it all the time, relationships are everything to Norse Collective and our partner and, and, and supplier chain relationships are really important. And the digital space really for us is proving even more critical because it's, it's companies like Lion that we're getting so much more from the relationship because of the journey we're on. And, and the, the data value. you're giving them back to, I mean, in terms of, I think you were saying, Lion would typically, you know, let's say it sold you 100 litres of beer, it would say, okay, North took 100 litres of beer. Now you can actually tell them a whole lot more detail, not necessarily about the individuals, but about other things that feeds back into their business, like what? Yeah, well, look, definitely. It used to be very one way. Used to be right quarterly, we'd sit down with with all of our partners, not just Lion, and they'd say, "This is what you've done in the last quarter." Whereas now we're really running that discussion, we're really presenting the data back, and we we like to look at trends. And we we ran a, a promotion last year in September for craft beer. Historically, we'd say, "Yep, beer sales were up, and that's the end of it." But now we're breaking it down by demographics, by postcode regions, by time of day, day of week. And we're able to understand when activations through our partners are actually most effective. Mm. That means when it comes to our annual planning days, we look back at the last 12 months worth of data and understand, well, what decisions can we make now to assure us the most success this year? A couple of teasers there, Robert, on what it looks like in terms of by demo, by day part, I think you said by segment. What more does it show? How does it help? Yeah, I'll give you an interesting metric out of it. So we looked at it overall across the group and we saw 68% purchase was from males. So very male skewed promotion. But we then break it down by venue. And we looked at the Greens North Sydney, one of our marquee uh, venues, and it actually was a 74% skew to females there. Mm. So what it means is this year, when we look at our craft beer month, we actually change the look and feel of the marketing for each venue. We actually start saying, well, we know at the Greens, it was actually quite a strong take-up, strongest in the group by the female demographic. So we really want to start making sure that the in-venue marketing is driving that correct message. And did you get down to why it was why the blokes were, were piling out of North Sydney and it was the it was the women? Well, again, no, why just the fact that it happened? <laughs> yeah, it just happened. I mean, you know, I guess the Greens is is a very unique offering mm. because it is in a business hub there at North Sydney and gets a lot of corporate, whereas the other venues are very much local to their local community. Yeah, and and I guess you know it's one of those trends we didn't expect to see. Well, it's these. What's one of those trends that you wouldn't have got unless you'd started the digital transformation? journey, I guess. This was none of this, none of this granularity, as they like to say, and, and visibility would have been there prior to, or would have been slower. Oh, it would have taken us so much longer to get to that point. Mm. We, we, and we wouldn't have got there. We mm. would have, too, too hard basket, I like to call it, um, because we would have had to have gone to three or four separate siloed systems. And then we wanted to emerge data and it, it wouldn't have been easy. Okay. And so the, the app's coming, there's a, a loyalty program coming. The objectives of that is just to get everything coming through digital channels and be able to carve it up. The, the app is about what? Because you're going to have to get, with the app, Rob, it'd be interesting because you, if you skew older in some of your clubs, you've got to get your members and constituents to actually want to use 
the app on their phone as opposed to a card out of their wallet. How, how's that going to go in the older demographics? Yeah, definitely. And we need the right strategy in place to communicate the message. And, and for that demographic in our more traditional venues, it is a lot of face-to-face. You know, they walk in and the reception team know them by first name. So it is going to be a lot of that in person. And, and you know, we're going to set up booths and make sure that our members are taken on that journey with us. The app for us, it's been a two and a half year project. It's been a long project throw a very big lockdown in the middle of it all, of course, but it needed to be because this app is not really meant to be a regurgitation of our websites, which a lot of apps can fall into that, uh, that that basket. And and I think for us, we didn't want it to be that. Yes, it is pulling data. All our websites are uniform, the the CSS, it's all, it's all templated. Um, and it's going to pull data in, but really this app needed to be an extension of their membership. So we've got, you know, a core group, the younger demographic who don't carry wallets. Yeah. So they don't carry a membership card. The card's digitized in the app. That was really the easy part of, of the app building, but it was about engagement. So we know even our, our older demographic, especially, they love the promotional aspect of their club. They love coming in and having a raffle and a chance to win. Mm. So we're actually using gamification in the app. Not really that newer concept, but it's one, one that we know our members will resonate with. So they'll be able to win points that go directly back onto their card to use in venue through gamification in the app. And that'll help get them engaged with it as well. Wrapping this thing up, I could keep asking questions. I'm trying not to ask too many, but give us the uh, the sense on, okay, you've got all that infrastructure, all that strategy, all those planning in place, your people and resources are all there. What does next look like? What are you going to do with all this stuff and how are you going to measure that efficacy? Yeah. So for us, once we build this out and we've given ourselves sort of a, a timeline up through to September this year to have the structure built and the reporting in place, we're going to be then, you know, reporting regularly, but using that to help make future business decisions. You know, we spoke earlier about trust. We spoke earlier about the importance of data security um, and also the risk associated with it. So we want to see a drop in that. We talk about revenue. We talk about expenses. So it's also about creating efficiencies in our costs. Because yes, you know, we pay a certain amount now. It doesn't mean we always have to. We, we may find efficiencies over the next 18 months that can help us reduce costs because we've gotten to a, a certain point where automation has taken over. A lot, of, a lot of tasks. So I think for us, once we, we get to September and if we stick to the timeline, we'll be at a point where next year we'll be reporting regularly on all of this and helping the senior exec team make better business decisions as we look to expand the group. You know, one thing that we put together fairly quickly was a cross-venue spend sand key chart in CRM analytics. And that's a really important tool for us, something we've never looked at before, but it's actually opened our eyes. And what that did was It showed us year by year, what cross venue spend are we getting from a member of say Norths in Camaray, one of our venues at the Greens North Sydney. Now, once you join one of our venues, you're a member of all of them. You get you get membership to all venues. It's, it's one membership, you know, eight venues. Um, but we never really looked at the value of our membership internally. And when we, when we look at growth and we look at potential future venues and future sites, we can start using the data that we've got on our members to see, well, Year one, we open this new venue. We already have 60,000 members, not saying all of them live locally to the venue, but a fair chunk do. And we can understand just with that target market, what revenue they can bring to the venue without even looking at new growth. Mm. So that's a big part as well. When we start looking at growing North Collective even further, we use our first party data that we've got, and it's a strong, strong database to understand what can we bring to that new venue just as soon as we turn the key and open the door. Mm. Right. And in terms of other things, you talked earlier about engagement. So 
what does a good engagement score look like? What was it? What is it now? What do you want it to be? Yeah. So we start talking about, about, you know, engagement with our members and I've always sort of looked as, at email as our, really our core engagement tool. It just remains the workhorse, doesn't it? It just keeps, it's, it's extraordinary because my inbox is bursting, but I still, it's still the, it's the workhorse. It unbelievably so, unbelievably so. And for us, it's something that we really hold strong and we communicate regularly through that channel. And if I look at engagement metrics, before we, we sort of went through this journey, our open rates on emails were sitting at about 21% across the group. We're now sitting at 60%, almost three times. Well, because the messages are relevant. Me- right. Members are opening their emails because th- they know that the content in there is actually going to be relevant to them. The content we put in all our emails, we've got a phenomenal internal uh, team member, Kat, who's our CRM and digital specialist, who builds out our group-wide comms for all venues working closely with the marketing team. Is she allowed to come to MI3 for a day or two? <laughs> well, maybe. that publicly and on the mics. So yeah. You... Look, we can organize a day rate or something, sure. <laughs> nice. Um, look, uh, she's really helped us strongly with that. And, and we grew that engagement because the content is dynamic. So when you receive an email and I receive an email, it could be the what's on at North's camera this month. We're going to see different things based on our behavioral and engagement data that we've got. Sometimes demographical, sometimes, but really we do focus on the behavioral. Now, open rates are a bit of an old school metric. I don't really live by open rates anymore. It's great. And we've seen huge growth. I look at click-through rates. CTR is where it's at right now. And, and if, you, if you've got strong click-through rate, chances are you've got strong engagement. And we were sitting at 1.4%. Global average for our industry is 1.2%. So we were sitting just above the average. We're now sitting at 11.3%. For click-throughs. Click-through rates. Right. Huge growth for us mm. in that space. And that's what I want to see. In turn, that's seen our website visitation grow by 45%. So mm. almost half okay. growth in website visits and, and count to websites. So that's been a huge, huge, huge growth in engagement. And we've, in turn, seen our unsubscribe rate drop from 1.4% to 0.4%. Okay. So there's, there is stuff working. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So engagement is strong on our digital channels. Yeah, uh, in terms of the um, and that's, that that goes across your campaigns, your concerts, your art, you know, all those sort of things. It's it's you're using it for all of that. All of it. So you know, every venue is unique, and <clears> a member <throat> might join uh, the Alcott at Lane Cove. They might live locally to it, and really that venue is relevant to them, but they don't know what they don't know. So if we know that that person uh, might attend their comedy nights there once a month, why shouldn't we be promoting the fact that we've got Dave Hughes coming to North? We should be. So this is the sort of stuff that we've moved into now, cross-venue promotion, mm. so that they know they're part of something bigger. And do you think the app and the Lordy program will drive further sort of the wallet, the share of wallet, if you like, or whatever, what would you call that, the, um, the, the spend? Are you seeing changes in spending levels? Yeah, we've, we've seen that, and that's come organically as well as prices increase. In, right, in, yeah, there's the inflationary impact. Inflationary impact, yeah, definitely. But I think more so than that, it really comes down to visitation. You know, venues and, and hospitality work on a, a Theo. We might say that the average person spends $24. I don't know what the exact number is. But if we if it stays at $24, if that's static, but they visit one more time a month, well, that's an extra visit per month. So we really talk about visitation. And what's happened there? And we've seen growth in visitation. I think last time I checked, we had about an 8% growth right. in, okay. in venue visitation. So I'll get to your biggest learnings in a sec, but I'm assuming then that your CEO and your member uh, organizations are happy with this progress and trajectory of, of what's happened? Very much so. Very much so. You know, I think it all comes down to those three objectives. 
that we set out in the beginning. You know, they were they were specific and measurable, and we've really been able to achieve them pretty quickly. Considering, Remind us again quickly. Right. So for us, the first was obtaining a full 360-degree view of our members, our customers. The second was getting smarter with our data, improving our business analytics capabilities. And third was getting much stronger in terms of hyper-personalized omni-channel marketing capabilities. Right. And by achieving those, really, the CEO, the board of directors are understanding why we've been on this journey. And seeing business results. They're seeing those things. Okay. So let's wrap this up with the biggest learnings and tips you can give your marketing peers as they either have a digital transformation program and and underway or are trying to make it work or are thinking about starting or starting again. So what what not to do and what are the shortcuts, Rob? Definitely. Look, I've got my five tips. I sort of I've been asked this a few times and I've built built my five tips for success. The first is defining your objectives. Define clear, specific, measurable, attainable objectives. Start with strong objectives and you're going to be set on a good path forward. The second is partner up effectively, and that's critical. I mentioned before AF Digital, and they are critical to our to our marketing success that we've seen. We've also got OSF Digital, who are our core partner. They've helped us build all of our integrations and also our analytics and all of our, our sort of core CRM build-outs. And Reinteractive are our app partner. So this app built on Heroku, native with Salesforce. Reinteractive have been with us now for two and a half years. So it's, it's been a journey we've loved being on. So I think it's important to make sure you partner up effectively. I've always said your partners need to understand your business. They need to understand why you exist, what you do, and who your customers are, and your values need to align. Um, you're getting into a relationship with, the, with these guys, so you've got to do your due diligence, you know, really understand their capabilities and capacity. And when you, when you make the right move in terms of your partners, you, it will pay off tenfold. And we've seen that very much so. So I think tip two, partner up effectively. Tip three really is plan, plan, plan. And when you think you've finished planning, you haven't. Keep planning mm. because you've got to be able to pivot. You've got to have the ability to be agile through this journey. You can't expect it all to be smooth sailing because it's not. You never know. You may get thrown a pandemic in the middle of it all. Um, Funny that. Exactly. I know. I know. Remember the days people would sneeze and you'd yeah. say, bless you? Yes. Wasn't that? No. That was wonderful. Go away now. Exactly. So uh, so planning. And how many, so when you talk about that, how many iterations do you think you did through this program? And was it, are we talking dozen, or five, ten? I think we probably made a half a dozen. Right key changes. You mm. change little things, but I think about half a dozen key changes throughout. And that was just from learnings yeah. and understandings because we had so many external systems, a lot of them quite dated. You know, with clubs, there there's a lot of systems and a lot of them don't get a lot of investment from their, their suppliers. So they do sit there a bit stagnant and, and to connect them is not easy. So we've had to make some changes. That's why the planning piece is really yes, important right. and, and always build out to your capacity, understand what do you want to do now, but what do you want to do in five years? You've got to be planning for that too when you're doing this. So you, you plan for success. That's a really important one too. The fourth tip is take your stakeholders on the journey. You, you can't be doing this on your own or just with your team. You've got to make sure you've got buy-in from everybody. And we do that with our vision, regular training, regular updates, and we keep our team on the journey with you as well, both up and down. Right. You've got to keep everybody and, and your partners and stakeholders. We take, we take our partners on this journey as well with us too. And that's four. That is four. Oh, you only have no, four. No, I do have a fifth. I thought you might have a fifth. Yes, I know. And the slide deck doesn't have it because it was the <laughs> other one. Um, and my fifth tip is start using the system. Don't be scared. Now that you've turned it on and you've invested time, money, people, resources into this digital transformation journey, don't be scared to use it. Go in there, 
you know, get your hands dirty and start reaping the rewards of all of the hard work that you've done. Okay. So the final question for me is what does this whole program cost? <laughs> You're not going to tell me. Well, <laughs> look, no one can see me. And I, I usually say I had a full head of hair before I went on this journey. <laughs> um, but look, it, yes, it's cost. It hasn't been a cheap exercise. We got buy-in from the right stakeholders in the beginning with an understanding of, of the why behind the reason for doing this journey, but it's definitely paying off. You know, Norse Collective now are much, much, much more advanced than our competitors when it comes to this space. Mm. There's no competitor really in has dived and, 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 you know, given as much to this sort of a digital transformation journey. So we're reaping the benefits tenfold. Um, did you know that you're team would have to go from two to 11, I think it was, was it? I remember one slide with Salesforce in the early days when obviously we were going through that, that original um, scoping phase. And there was one slide that showed, you know, if you have this many contacts in your database, then you'll need this many people in your team. We looked at it going, oh no, we don't need three. It's fine. One's enough. We were wrong. And we put our hands up and to say we were wrong. And, and, you know, to have the platform users grow has been critical. Because we, we could not have grown to where we are today without those roles being created. And mm. we realized that. Brand new functions for the, for the business then? Yeah, definitely. 100% mm. never existed. Robert Lopez, it's a really, really great case study. And um, thanks for joining. I think um, I look forward to seeing what happens in 12 months' time because the numbers will probably be even better. You've, got, you've probably got a couple more venues coming on, you think, there's some conversations. that You can expect growth in, in the number of venues anyway. Definitely. There's a mm. couple of venues in the pipeline that we're sort of working through. So could be some more amalgamations, definitely. Just watch the space. May the CX be with you, Robert Lopez. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.